as we come to all those words Jasmine has read for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in, um, in a world that is often confusing and is often devoid of purpose, struggles for hope, we thank you that uh, there is a hope bound up in the gospel that is described in scripture. Lord, we thank you for the realism of your word. We thank you that it tells a story, a concrete story of who we are, of where we come from and what we are for. Thank you that it puts us all on a level as those who are created in your image. It puts us all on a level as well in that we are those who, in whom that image is distorted for we have all turned our backs on you, whether that is in the area of human sexuality, which we have all done, or in the area of work, and we have all turned our backs on you in that. And so, Lord, would you draw us to your story, and would we find purpose in that, and great joy, and that we would bring glory to you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the, the reason for this series um, most recently is that we explored in the Hope Bible School at the end of last year this topic, and we, um, and we looked at it uh, just in four 15-minute slots, and we found that that was woefully inadequate. So we're going to have five weeks um, of sermon series uh, this week, not next week, but then uh, the four weeks after that. Uh, why do people work? And when I say work, I don't simply mean paid employment because that is not how the Bible speaks of work. Work is much broader than that. I take the Bible's definition, which is that work is everything other than leisure and Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest is not just leisure, just lying by the beach. A Sabbath rest is something more specific, and we'll get to that in a few weeks' time. But work is everything other than leisure and Sabbath rest. And so that will include unpaid employment. It will include work around the home. It will include work in the community. It will include fixing your car. It will include changing nappies. Because I don't think many people would put changing nappies in the category of either leisure or Sabbath rest, right? Why do people work? Why do people do all of that stuff? It's a crucial question, isn't it? It has to do with what we do. Why do we do what we do, what we think is important? And what is it that sustains our work? What is it that motivates it and drives it? So let me introduce you to uh, Wendy. She works in a mid-range clerical job in a big corporate. Uh, Wendy works to live. Uh, the reason she works is to pay the bills, to afford to do the things that she really wants to do. She buys her lottery ticket religiously in the hope that that is going to remove her from this burden of work. The only reason she's working is so she can live. If she wins the lottery uh, Monday morning, she will go into work, but just to uh, thumb her nose at her boss and tell her exactly how she's felt all along. She does a fair bit of uh, personal admin and Facebooking at work so that when she leaves work that day, she can get onto the things that she really wants to do. Wendy works to live. Uh, Lerato, on the other hand, well, she lives to work. Uh, 
he's a, an accomplished human rights lawyer. He's eager to take on a worthy cause. Uh, every now and then it gets a bit insane, but ordinarily he's quietly proud of the late nights and the 70 hour weeks. He misses out on lots. He only really sees his kids on the weekend if he's not called away uh, and when he can get away from his phone. But he's quick to tell you with his, uh, with his kids, it's not so much about quantity time, it's about quality time. It's given him an ulcer, but he wouldn't swap it for anything. Lerato lives to work. Uh, work to live or live to work. Now, obviously, most of us are stuck somewhere in between those two extremes. Uh, we're searching for that elusive, happy medium summed up in that rather tired phrase about which you can get quite cynical as you go on in life, work-life balance. And so what we're doing in the series, we're going to give you a window into the topic, how our faith, our worldview from the ground up, Genesis onwards, plays into our work. Um, how you understand the thing, sexual ethics or, or hum, what it is to be human or work, how you understand the thing depends on the story that you locate it within. And um, I use this illustration uh, in the Hope Bible School. Um, but imagine that uh, the phone rings and you hit the green button and somebody on the other end of the line says the word yes. Just a single word, yes. Um, on its own, it's impossible to know what the significance of that yes is. It depends on the story surrounding it, doesn't it? So it could be a crank caller, and this crank caller is, a, is an affirming kind of person, and their favorite word is the word yes, and so they just phone people saying yes. Um, it could be somebody who is calling you, they know you, they, they're calling you, they want to talk to you, but whilst, they, whilst the phone is ringing waiting for you to pick up, they're actually carrying on a conversation with somebody else, and they're saying yes to that person, not to you. Or, or maybe uh, it's your girlfriend. Uh, or boyfriend, your significant other, uh, and they say yes, uh, uh, and you've just proposed to them uh, two days earlier, and they said they wanted a little bit more time to think about it. Uh, three completely different stories, um, all that single word yes, all of them then dictate how you will react in that situation. If it's a crank caller, you'd hang up and you'd block their number. Uh, if it's somebody else who's having the conversation on the side, you might either shout down the phone and say, I'm here, or you might just wait patiently for them to finish that other conversation and then you say hi. Or if it's your significant other, well, you can't believe your luck and you start planning a wedding. Uh, your work will make no sense unless you put it into some kind of story. And the Christian belief is that we have a story that, that is big enough to accommodate our work. Uh, that's why we've called our series Work As God Sees It kind of a, a, a double meaning to that. Work as God sees it. God is the designer of work. This is how he sees work. Work is a noun. Or it could be work apostrophe as God sees it. Because God is the designer and he has an intent for work, therefore we should work because he is watching how we work. And so it's a, a story in the Bible, a story of four chapters. And you'll know the story if you've been around um, Hope Central for any length of time. A chapter one of the story is a, a design, a design for work. God is a good creator, creates everything according to a good design. That's chapter one. That's our talk this morning. Um, our talk in two weeks' time is going to be chapter two, uh, the distortion of work. 
because man sinned. Sin enters the world and it corrupts mankind and it corrupts work. Uh, chapter three is going to be the redemption of work because Christ came in history and he didn't just come to save souls. He came also to redeem human beings who were created originally to work. Speaks into how we work. And then chapter four is the, the new creation, which is not some spiritually disembodied kind of place. It's a place where we'll have physical bodies and actually we will be at work. And so as you're sitting here, um, as uh, many may be, you could be saying to yourself, well, what exactly does Christianity have to say? And maybe even as a Christian, you've been wondering, how does it speak? Maybe it is an ancient document. What does it have to say if you're a, a fund manager or you're a, a, you know, a software developer? The Bible doesn't mention those particular careers, does it? Or you might be saying to yourself, but I've had this view growing up in church or being around church that what God is interested in is, well, that I should be godly. Don't steal the pencils from the stationery cupboard if they had such things anymore, right? Um, uh, don't mess around with your colleagues. Um, make sure that you do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And then make sure that you take your salary and give a fair chunk of it to the real work that goes on, which is the work that's happened in churches. And we want to correct that over the course of uh, this series. And so the series is going to take this format. It's going to look at the design of work today, distortion of work, the redemption of work. And then weeks four and five are going to be on the redeemed worker and, the, and redeemed work. And so let us uh, dig in now to God's uh, design work. Uh, before we even get into Genesis 1 verse uh, 26 to 28, those verses are going to be our particular focus this morning. There is a context to it, and the context is that God is a worker. Uh, the universe is God's place of work. Um, the universe is also God's home. I guess that makes God the first work from home person. Tombs, what do you think? I think I think so. Yeah, you like that one. Okay. <laughs> he creates the whole universe. He, he speaks it all into being. And listen to how Genesis chapter 2 describes every, all of the activity that goes on in Genesis chapter 1, the, the, the act of creation. So Genesis chapter 2 verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done and god worked it was the work of creation and when it says that he rested on the seventh day um, rest is not the cessation of work for god it doesn't mean i've made it all and i'm actually going to hand it over to those human beings to look after it and i'm going to put my feet up i'm a bit tired and that's not what god does the scriptures uh, in various places testify that god is sustaining the world by the breath of his mouth and that he is upholding it he is holding it together says colossians god is still at work in the seventh day but the point is god is a worker that's an extraordinary thing to say isn't it if we are called to work and we're going to see that we are we are called to follow in the footsteps of god who himself is a worker we are in alignment with him we are not differentiated from him on this point of being workers so then the climax, as far as the topic of work uh, comes, is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, 
and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over all of the livestock, etc., etc. And so verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. I want us to, to dig into those verses. There are, there are seeds in there for us. And the point overall is to say that mankind has a spiritual and a cultural purpose in creation, in God's intent for mankind, a spiritual purpose and a cultural purpose. And the two of those are inextricably intertwined. Uh, first, it's clear that mankind has a spiritual purpose, uh, which is to say we're made in God's image. We are to show something of God to the watching world. Verse 26 says that God's intent, that God's expressing his intent, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I don't think that there's, we're supposed to make a big differentiation between image and likeness. Likeness means that you look like someone. Right? And if you are in their image, then you are representative of them. And so you represent someone by being like them. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. And God's intent, and then, well, that's his design, and that's what has effect in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. A uniquely out of all creation, as the pinnacle of creation, Mankind is bestowed with the image of God. Uh, to look at God is to see something of God. For we are representative of him because we are like him. Or you could put it differently. Uh, spiritually, our purpose is to glorify God. Glorifying God means simply to show God off for what he is like. And we do that simply by being human. It does beg the question, though, what is it that uh, is in humanity what is it about humanity that images god and uh, let me say firstly what i don't think it is um, some people some commentators would argue that there's something physical about us that images god and obviously god took on flesh in the form of jesus and he was human like us he would have had physical features like us but but god in the bible is spiritual and so i i think it's a stretch to say that somehow we you know i i don't know if you've seen god let me know if you think you look like him, I don't know. Um, second, some people, this is quite a common argument, and I've got some sympathy for it, um, is that there are certain mental and spiritual faculties that we share with God. God is spirit. Uh, we have spirits. God is a God of logos or reason. We have reason. We're rational beings. Or uh, God is a person. We, we are personal or out of the, all of the animals, we have self-consciousness. We're aware we're able to step out of ourselves and, and contemplate ourselves. Or maybe God is a, is a speaking God who reveals himself. And so we are communicating beings. And it's true, you can draw a correlation on there. But the problem with that is that, is that the comments on the divine image in the Old Testament particularly are very limited. And they don't go there in all of those directions. And the problem with pressing those too hard is sometimes it can be because you want to make, make a point about man rather than a point about God. And you end up, in effect, making God in our image. And so I think the answer is to look closely at this passage in its immediate context. And I think when you do that, you find 
that being in the image of God means two things. It means relationship and it means rule. And I want us to explore both of those. Um, relationship much more briefly because that's not our focus. Rule is because that aligns the word. Um, relationship, verse 26, we get to eavesdrop on this intra-God conversation uh, happening before humanity arrives. And the discussion is, let us make man in our image. So here we have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are a community. They are distinct, different persons, but they are united together. A three persons, one God. Their design is that their image bearer should also be a community. And so that is what happens. So God creates man, meaning mankind, homo sapiens sapiens, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female together. And, and so we have to dismiss some of the theological argument over the years to say, well, it's only males who are made in God's image. That's a nonsense. It's not merely an individual. It's not merely a male individual. It's not merely a married couple. Some people have kind of slightly elevated marriage dim to like, well, now we're slightly more in the image of God. No, male and female together means it takes a community, a diverse, united group of people to image a diverse but united uh, God of the universe. And that's why, that's why the church is as wondrous as it is, because it is that bringing together of diversity and unity. That's why we celebrate it in the life of a local church. Uh, that's uh, the first part of being in his image. The second part of being in his image is that mankind are rulers over creation. Uh, verse 26, let us make man in our image, our likeness, and let them rule or have dominion, is one of the translations, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, and so on. There again, it is in verse 28, God blessed them, said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, every living creature. Uh, rule or, or to have dominion. And God is instating us as rulers, as as regents, as co-regents over his world. And now we're, we're coloring in what it means to be his image bearers and his representatives. We, we represent God, who is the ruler of the entire universe, by being rulers, delegated rulers over this earth. Uh, we don't replace God, it's a delegated rule, but like him, we are to rule. We are to have dominion. And verse 28 fleshes that out even more. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and fill the earth, subdue the earth and uh, rule over the creatures. Uh, so it's not that God makes the world and says, well, now I can't be bothered uh, to take care of it. I'm an initiator. Um, uh, the human beings get to be the completer finishers of this whole project. Now, the ultimate point is not the tending of the world. The ultimate point of it all is that God should be glorified. And so whilst he, there is a spiritual purpose that we should be his representative, it is tied to this cultural purpose, which we're about to kind of expand on, this cultural purpose of ruling his world. We image him by ruling. We image him by working. Nancy Piercy writes a book 
or total truth. And, um, and have a listen, because what she does, she unpacks those phrases in verse 28. I put part of the quote there on your handouts, yeah, if you've got them. Uh, redemption, she says, is not, this is a total truth, liberating Christianity from its cultural captivity. There you go. Uh, redemption is not just about being saved from sin. It is also about being saved to something, which is to resume the task for which we were originally created. And what was that task? In Genesis, God gives what we might call the first job description. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world. Uh, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world. Plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures, build civilizations, nothing less. And this means that our vocational professional work is not a second class activity, something we do just to put food on the table. It is the high calling for which we were originally created. The way that we serve a creator God, spiritual purpose is by being creative with the talents and the gifts that he has given us. Um, our cultural purpose. That is the mandate that is given to Adam and Eve, the cultural mandate. And it is given to all of humanity. It's not just given to, to Christians. It's given to all of humanity. Adam and Eve represent every human being. And then it is restated. So after the fall and after the flood, and Noah steps off the ark, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he is recommissioned with that same mandate as representative of all of humanity. And so here is the pattern that is there in God's design for his world. And so Adam is, is taken out of the Adama, the, the dust of the earth. He is taken out of the earth in order to be placed as regent over the earth, co-regent under God, who is the creator of all things. That is how we are tied into the order. We're made by God to image him in large part by cultivating the earth from which we were formed, stewarding the earth and the earth providing for us. It's not a license for exploitation of the earth, which Christians often get accused of, this, this dominion that we're to have over the earth. Isn't that a license for abuse? Well, absolutely not. Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It is for mutual benefit. And so it is a win-win-win situation. Uh, whilst man uh, benefits from God's care and from the provision of the environment, that is man benefiting, God is glorified in all of this as he is imaged and his earth is cared for and creation itself also flourishes. And so here's a, a working definition of work. Um, working is playing our part in ordering creation for the sake of human flourishing to the glory of God. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna want that to sink really deeply in over the course of this series. Um, that doesn't change when Jesus steps onto the earth. In fact, that is renewed, this cultural mandate. And we, we've got to explore all of the nuances of that. 
but working is playing our part in ordering creation, reflecting a God of order um, for the sake of human flourishing as he places us at the pinnacle and his intent is the creation should provide for us as we care for the earth and we order it, whether it's in the social setting or whether it's in the cultivating of the earth. Well, so it is for the benefit of the earth and the sake of human flourishing and ultimately to the glory of God. It is a finely tuned balance. So we said um, earlier, I said in the slot that Genesis is firing shots at the other worldviews back in the day of Moses' original readers. But the same is true today. It's firing shots at our worldviews, competing worldviews today, isn't it? Because we have modern origin stories. No matter who you are, no matter what your view, you have to, you have, to have to have some explanation of where we come from, what we are to do, and where we're heading. And so here are some of those shots fired if we take Genesis seriously. Uh, the first is that we're not self-made. We have a creator, and therefore we are accountable to him, including in our work. Uh, linked to that, we are not self-defining, either through what we say about ourselves or through the work that we do. We do not get to decide who we are and what our purpose is. No, we're defined by a creator who stamps us with his image. We are here for his glory and not for our own. It was a, a, a book day on Friday in the schools and, um, and I wasn't there for the assembly, but one of the, one of the characteristics, um, the lady who's a, who's a book writer was speaking to the children saying, one of the characteristics of stories is that they're uh, good stories, that they're strong verbs in there. And there are strong verbs in this story. There, there is the strong verb bara, which is to create, which is uniquely used of God. It's, it's God being a maker. He is making out of nothing. He is the creator. We, we then work with the raw materials that he has given us. The other strong word is the word have dominion and rule. It's an astonishing thing that God invites us to reflect, to be his co-regents under him. But when you put those all together, well, it's, doesn't it give us a, a wonderful balance in understanding who we are as humanity in relation to work? We are not the originators. It is profoundly humbling. We are dependent and we are derivative of God. And all we do is we work with that which he has given us to work with. And yet there is vast dignity in it because we are appointed by him with his image to be his co-regents. The dignity of work. Uh, let me just finish off by exploring because the big question we asked in the beginning, why, why do we work? And you could slightly just shift that question to say, where is the dignity in work? Why is work important? And our worldviews around us have lots of answers as to why work is important. Because it is how you justify yourself. Because it is how you prove yourself to the watching world. Because it is the thing that gives you status, either because of the position that you occupy in the company, the pay uh, that you earn, whatever it may be. Where does the, the Bible say the dignity of work comes from? I, I want to say three places. The first has to do with work, the second with us, the third with work itself. The first is what we've already said, God is a worker. And God is a, is a very hands-on worker, isn't he? Uh, literally, he gets his hands dirty. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says that he, he formed Adam 
from the dust of the ground. You can picture God getting his hands dirty. And when he forms Eve out of the rib from Adam, again, he takes the rib and forms her. Uh, the other gods don't get their hands dirty. They're too busy vying for turf with the opposing gods. No, God's fingerprints are all over this one. In fact, more than his fingerprints, as we see when we step into the New Testament. But that gives great dignity to all work, that God is a worker. We, we, we're really good at making distinctions between kind of elevated work and lower work, between white-collar work and blue-collar work is one of the ways in which we've described it. Uh, th those two are different because white-collar work is more important, and that's reflected in the fact that the white-collar workers, well, they are the ones who get, get paid disproportionately well. There is a whole value system bound up in how we pay people. There are so many distortions, I don't even have to explain them to you. But God is a worker getting his hands dirty. And then Adam and Eve, first, first workers, they're gardeners. And when you meet Jesus, just reflect on this. Jesus' ministry, the, the thing that the Bible is focused on and we most need to understand about him happens from the age of 30 to 33, roughly. What is it that he does for his life up until then? Well, the Bible never says that he was a carpenter, but he grew up in the home of a carpenter, and he probably would have been apprenticed. That's an astonishing thought, isn't it? We're going to sing a song and just now it finishes. But one of the lines in there is that he lived in Nazareth and labored. God, when he came to earth, God, God doesn't just work doing the glorious work of creation, but when he comes to earth, he works, he labors doing potentially blue-collar work, somewhere between blue-collar and artisanal work. God is a worker. Uh, secondly, God calls us to work, and we'll explore the idea of calling much more in the weeks ahead. But where ultimately do we locate the importance of work? Our culture says how much you get paid, cash, how many people you have working for you or the size of the company and the prominence of the company that you work for, your colleagues, or how well you are known and recognized for the work that you do, kudos. Cash colleagues and kudos. But actually the dignity of the work comes down to who it is that has called you to do the work, who it is that you are working for. And Christians understand that we have a commission from the God who rules over the universe. And no less. Mankind is given a mandate. We have dominion, we rule, we fill, uh, we subdue. That is calling. And that is a calling on every single human being, as Darren was saying earlier. That is the human mandate given to every person that we are to recognize and heed ourselves. And we are to recognize it in every human being who is made by definition in the image of God to be a worker with that mandate and that calling on their lives. God is a worker. God calls us to work. And then God's design is the work that glorifies him. Uh, let me just say before that, if God is the worker and if he is sustaining the world, how, it is it, how is it that God does that? Well, he does it through human hands and human efforts. And so for example, the, the people it's a very tired illustration, and we're not supposed to use these ones, right? But the person who is sweeping the streets, right? 
so that the drains get blocked. This is relevant because it came to me last night. So that the drains don't get blocked in Pinus, so that there isn't flooding. Or more seriously, when you look at some of the areas like uh, lower lying areas, where if the sluits aren't cleared, and then there is flooding, and there are people whose houses are right next to those sluits, and they get flooded, and there are little children in those homes, the risk of death or disease. That is God looking after and protecting those people through the work that people do. Lots of other examples. How, how does God look after babies? Well, he designates people, often called parents, to make sure that their nappies get changed and cleaned so that they remain hygienic and they don't get sick. That is God at work through calling us to work. But isn't the marvel of all of this that God's design is at work glorifies him? It elevates everything that we do, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's recognized or not. Because God is working out his spiritual purpose. We are emblematic of his image on him when we work. Our spiritual and cultural purposes are intertwined. That takes huge pressure off our work. Uh, if we're here for our glory, if we're here to prove ourselves with our work, if that is what work is a vehicle for, well, that is crushing. But if instead it is to point to him, to show something of him, and it is done in his strength, well, that is an amazing place to find significance. And so we don't have a sacred secular divide. We'll explore that in the weeks ahead. We don't put our spiritual hat on on a Sunday, take it off uh, when we get home from church, and don't worry to put it back on on Monday morning. There isn't a divide between Sunday and Monday where we spend whatever vast majority of our waking hours. No, God speaks into that situation. And so there is a story that we locate ourselves in. This might not be your story. It might not be you. You might not say you identify with this or, or believe in this. But, but can I say it, it should confront us. I hope that you'll find it compelling as you journey through this and ask yourself, well, actually, is there a sustainable motivation in this story as I understand it? Is there a, a liberation in it? Is there a great dignity in it? Maybe this is your story and you're trying to live out of it and it is just hard. Uh, we'll explore how hard it is in particular in two weeks' time. Well, isn't this an encouragement to keep tapping into this story as your resource? But then I would imagine for the majority of us, uh, this is your story, but functionally, this is not the hat you're wearing on a Monday morning. Or you find yourself slipping out of this story when there's a crisis or when there's just been a sustained pressure and your ambitions or your attitude to work start to slide with that. Maybe you can discern that over the past few years. Well, that's my prayer is that the series will be a great refresher for us. Here's a, a question for you over coffee, and with this I close. If work is us playing our part in the ordering of creation for the sake of human flourishing under God, then how does your work, and you, what, whatever element of your work, because there are different elements for all of us to our work, um, whether it's work in the community, work at home, it's work in the, in the office. Um, how does your, your work map onto that mandate? We need to be able to draw that link. And so maybe with the person next to you, over a cup of coffee, how does your work add to the ordering of creation for the sake of human flourishing? Why don't I pray?
Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who confers before time. Thank you that you are ultimate. Thank you that everything in this world is a function of your creative will and power. That you put on it originally the stamp of good, even though we see so much distortion around it, around us. Lord, that we are not bound by that. For we understand that there is a good design and that there is a plan of redemption and consummation. And so help us to find our place in this world of work, whatever that work might be, and whatever the twists and turns of the journey have been for each of us in relation to that work. And we pray that you would put yourself at the center. Sorry for when we have used work to try to glorify ourselves. And would you renew in us that mandate, that this is a God-given commission to order your world so that we might flourish and the earth might benefit and you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.